You're listening to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our season finale of season (laughs) two. (laughs) Insert crazy crowd noises here. Um, (laughs) Note to myself. (laughs) Um, Gents, we've made it to the end of season two, which somehow doesn't seem possible in both the like we just ended season one and also like, wow, season two was very long. It felt yeah. like it was a beast <laughs> of a season. Yeah. yeah. Definitely the most prepared we've ever been for season two. <laughs> Little did uh, most of our audience know season one, we oftentimes were like recording the night before something was supposed to go out. <laughs> <laughs> so we definitely had, um, yeah, it was great. It was great. So uh, this season was about uh, the the breadth and depth of the Enneagram and bringing in voices that we really respect and we um, mm-hmm. have different opinions and different uh, perspectives on the Enneagram and that sort of wisdom. So I feel like we accomplished that. Our lineup of guests were quite staggering. Oh, um, man. Amazing yeah. guests. Yeah. Yeah. Would you all, what, what were some of your favorite episodes? Obviously, all of them were great. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> it's like, which kid is my favorite? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so what, what what are some things that you kind of, you're walking away from this season with? When, in preparing for this finale, it was a good excuse to kind of go back and chronicle the season <laughs> that we right. had. And it, it was extensive, and we did we did some deep dives on some really diverse topics, and so I love that you know we kind of set out this goal for here's what season two is going to be about, and to be quite honest, not knowing if we would hit that mark, you know, and yeah. um, and I feel like we, I just I feel like it it was really great, not because of anything we did uh, mm. because in many ways we kind of handed over the mic this we season really that, that yeah. was an, mm-hmm. an enduring theme of the season was uh, passing the mic on to some others right and and kind of sitting at their feet and learning which uh, is certainly a highlight for me so I, I felt like I got an education on so many things like whether starting off with Nan Henson's open-heartedness yeah. <laughs> and just hearing uh, like her just her heart conveyed through this medium. I didn't mm-hmm. know if that would work and it did. And it was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, we could talk about every episode, but yeah, um, seriously. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were, they were all so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really appreciated having just some, 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 as I mentioned, I think a few times Jedi masters on, um, but mm-hmm. I also, yeah. I also did really appreciate the few episodes that we had that were uh, where we had, uh, listeners chime in about questions they had, you know, just to kind of hear fun. from, yeah, hear from people from wherever they are. Some of them are all over the world, you know, to hear um, what they're thinking about the Enneagram um, as they're listening to our podcast. And um, also just some of these, we had a few episodes with Leslie, uh, with mm-hmm. Jason that were a little bit different, you know, that were mm-hmm. kind of addressing what's what's happening in the world, what's happening in our lives. Mm. That just brought a little bit more of a personal heart touch, if you will, to to the whole yeah. thing as, as well, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, man, I, yes, like really enjoyed all the interviews and stuff, but that episode with Leslie, I, I probably 
listened to that well over 15 times. Just, yeah, it was, there was some, there's something je ne sais quoi about it. Like very, (laughs) I don't know. There was something to it that was just really, really brilliant. And, Mm. um, just appreciated her presence and her showing up vulnerably in a space that is a little risky. Um, yeah. The public, the public ear. So, yeah, I, I just, that was, um, it was a really meaningful episode to me. Um, it was. Yeah. Favorite episode is well. different, but. There was um, a very I mean, having, different affect to that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. There yeah. we go. That's probably a yeah. better, less yeah. pretentious way of saying that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, to have uh, to have both of our teachers on this season, Nan mm-hmm. and Linda, was really great. Along well, and with one of our current teachers, Mario, Mario Sakura. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, being able to and meet a bunch Tom of people Condon. that we asked because we want them to be our teachers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. Yes. laughs> right. And I, I mean, the episode that I cringed the most was definitely with Michael Naylor. Being he being a four, I just y'all couldn't see all my reactions, but oh, almost everything they, he said, I was like squirming in my chair. It was, Abram and I enjoyed that immensely, on. though. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um, I do think. One more thing. This also shows the flexibility of the Enneagram this season yeah. in a profound way. Mm, it's mm-hmm. beautiful. Like we already mentioned Nan, but narcissism and the Enneagram intersections there. Enneagram with Chuck DeGroat, Enneagram and spirituality with Nian Vuong. We, you know, we talked about neuroscience with Jerome Lubba. We talked about right. all the different ways Mario uses it, which is in many ways wholly different than a lot of the traditional kind of streams of the Enneagram. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Tom Condon, mm-hmm. which was a trip, right? In terms of the trans yeah. type, you know, we, yeah. like you mentioned, Naylor uh, and addiction and recovery, and then Linda. I do hope people, you know, Linda may not be as well known as some of the other guests we've had, but that it, the inner critic stuff that she talked mm-hmm. about was so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we just covered a, a ton of ground with the Enneagram in a deep way, which I think is is so fun. I think, especially in this, in the political climate and and Enneagram climate, I mean, it's. The, the tribalism is hot right now. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And to to have so many different voices that probably disagree on several different things, I, it's just we the purpose of this entire podcast was to go deeper on the Enneagram and to be able to hold all the different views as, a, as, a, as an example of maybe, maybe all of this can belong. Yeah. Yep. And I think that belonging piece... Um, was really represented in the in the humility, in the um, compassion of of all of our guests, and mm. and that's not to say that <laughs> humility and compassion only exists in the guests we had. There's there's right. many <laughs> many 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 other teachers that we will be having on for the next season mm. that uh, we're still figuring out what we want to do with next season. Yeah, but I I'm really excited to of where that's going to go. So mm. me too, me too. Yeah. Well, ne- next up, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to just kind of give you guys a, a heads up on where we're headed with this episode. So this this first, um, we're, we're kind of we put it in three different acts, and so what we've already heard is kind of the first act of the season recap. Next up, we're we're gonna take uh, we've got some some friends of the podcast on that 
that uh, that we've included to help us answer some questions that we've had our listeners uh, chime in with, whether through Instagram or Speakpipe or other other ways. But yeah, we're going to be moving into Act Two of uh, asking some or answering some questions that you all have sent in, and that was a really fun time. We we had on uh, Lee Fields and Milton Stewart to help us out, and they're they're really really awesome so people and and good friends. Yeah. Um, and just to have their unique perspective and insight, uh, it was really helpful and needed it and cherished. So, and then, and then finally, uh, without getting into the details too, uh, too deeply, the third act is a really uh, what word? I don't know. I would. Uh, there's not many words. I don't know. Fun the, might not be the word. Yeah, I, I don't think know if you're, it is. You were, yeah, it's, it's an exciting, very exciting reason we get there that I want to hold off on. Oh, Drew just lost lights. <laughs> I did. Go on. <laughs> Radio. Um, uh, yeah. So, just so excited about uh, something we're about to share with you at the end of this uh, end of this episode. So, stay, stay tuned for that. And then there's just some <laughs> ridiculousness that happens at the end that I think I think y'all might enjoy. So, and if you don't <laughs> enjoy it, that's fine. We just don't, so, don't uh, enjoy it too much, please. Yeah. <laughs> said the egomaniac. Uh, yeah, it's no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But, no right. kidding. But just to say, you know, this is the last episode of the season. And so we just want to say thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank thank you. you to everybody who's listened, who's stuck with us on this journey as we've been trying to still figure out how do you do a podcast. Yeah, um, seriously. So this was so fun. And we're excited about what's going to be coming next week is, yeah. or no, next week, next season uh, as yeah. we as we dive into that together at some point to talk about. But y'all are amazing. Thank you for listening. For our first segment of Q&A, we have Lee Fields today. Lee, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Hi, Lee. Hey, <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where Where are you located? What do you do? Right this minute, I'm located in my closet. But generally, <laughs> my closet is located in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and that's where I've had the good fortune to meet a good number of you at assorted uh, Enneagram experiences in person in the before times and now on the Zoom. That's yes. right. Wonderful. Awesome. And you identify with what point in the Enneagram? Type one. Type one. Oh, Ducks and hides. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our first question comes from Glenna via SpeakPipe. So here's her question. As a type nine, how do I find my voice in a situation where a certain person is taking over the conversation or is in conflict mode all the time and is always, or at least she feels she's always right about everything? How do I find my voice in a Christ-like way and not turn it into a full-on argument? I can't imagine why you're asking me this. Um, <laughs> well, I think that everyone at point nine has a, a different voice to find. And maybe they have a lot of voices to sift through <laughs> because there's so much empathy and care and concern about other people and relating that way. Yeah. And I think that one of the more important things, and I, I should say I'm, I'm married to a nine, and have been for a number of years. And we haven't had the good fortune of having the Enneagram for all of those years. Mm. So experiencing life with my nine partner um, using the Enneagram has been really, really helpful. Uh, because in, in this question, I think that sometimes I would have been the fraught, harsh place <laughs> uh, mm. uh, where they were mm. trying to find their voice. And since sort of my 
type structure comes at things um, with an action orientation and the standpoint of just moving to the next. Mm-hmm. I could steamroll really easily if I'm not looking for the pause that gives the nine voice. Mm. Wow. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the main things I would say as a nine is to ask for that space, to be aware that you might need, quote unquote, more time than another person to process mm. something and to to make your people aware of that where they can partner with you in giving you that space. Fascinating. Um, yeah. What do you, yeah, I was going to say, we have a resident it, nine to can fact check. Who is anything. also married to a one, yeah. <laughs> right? right. This is true. So this is the other side of the coin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't really have some mind-blowing answer here, but what comes to mind is, you know, nines tend to really need a good amount of time to process, especially figuring out what is important to them, what is theirs, who they want to become. And so I think uh, often trying to figure that out in the midst of the tension and conflict is probably not a good idea. And I think you have to separate yourself to... to uh, find some of your own autonomy and then start asking the questions what what's important to you because in the moments of, of conflict you're going to be self-forgetting and that that you're you know it's harder to be a fully embodied person in those moments it's going to be safer to do it uh by yourself but i, I also think getting into your physicality is really important consistent a consistent practice of of exercise because when you're you're feeling the sensation of your body and you're 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 able to be more present and like more solid instead of a gas as a nine you're able to really start to feel what you're capable of and when you're feeling more of your capacity i think that capacity is is connected to knowing what you want to and that also involves mm-hmm. when you're feeling your capacity you also start to get into touch with your anger and anger is where you know what you're passionate about, what you want. So look for that anger. Ask yourself, whenever you're trying whenever you're trying to control and stay not knowing, that's a big defense for the nine to not know, you can be sure that you're trying to control staying calm on this in, in, internal world. So then is when you can say, what am I angry about? What should I be angry about right now? And yeah. uh, that will tell you what you want. Could I ask a question? Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so one of our teachers, uh, Abram, Peter O'Hanrahan talks about body types and how body mm-hmm. types like routine in different right. ways, right? And staying. So, um, could you speak some to how some practices for you with physicality that work to keep you present, but not so routine that, that you're zoning out in that experience? I think the obsessiveness and the, and the routine of the... <laughs> Depending on the version of the nine, right? If you're if we're looking at subtypes, but there is a sort of a patterned routine way of falling asleep to yourself, and I and I just think it's 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 more of a conscious coming inhabiting of your body. Um, anytime you're doing that, you're counteracting the 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 other way that you would normally go without thinking, you know, on a non-conscious level. So for me, it really is just the conscious choice to go to the gym four days a week if I can, or consciously choosing to go on a walk at least once a day. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. So, uh, awesome. So we got a direct message from Missa on, on Instagram. The The basic essence of her question was was basically, how do you recommend using the Enneagram when you're still trying to find your number? So, uh, Lee, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? How do, how do people that are still in that process and still unclear on type, on instinct, on stacking, on all the different variables, how do we continue to use the Enneagram in that way? 
I love this question. Thank you. Well, I I think a few different things about it. First of all, I think that above everything else, the Enneagram is a tool for compassion for yourself and for other people. Mm -hmm. And holding loosely to what your type is or discovering that process is is a form of self-compassion. That patience and curiosity that you bring to the experience Um, or can bring to the experience can really be a gift. I've known several people who mistyped for a long time and the Mm -hmm. journey that they had in coming to their home type was Mm -hmm. a very rich experience, even though they were technically seeing themselves through a different lens for a long time. One of the gifts of that, I think, is, you know, we all have all of the types within us and seeing, recognizing those things through the process of finding your type is a great self-observation. No, I, I'd that's agree, great. Lee. I think that's great. Um, and I would also add, I actually think it's, it feels like a detriment to the person who doesn't under, know their dominant type yet or is unsure. I actually think there are some benefits to it because what so often happens at Enneagram workshops or trainings or with Enneagram books is that people uh, who know their dominant type often kind of zone out <laughs> for mm. when, when, and when talking about any number except for theirs, right? And that curiosity that you spoke of, I think, does create uh, a learner's kind of posture with all the types, which can be really helpful. So it's not all bad, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. Um, And I think that, you know, the Enneagram, another thing um, some of my teachers say is the Enneagram is an inside job, you know, in in working Mm. on yourself, but it's also one of community, right? Right. And the more you can relate to and be in community with the other types, kind of the better. Yeah, exactly. And like we've said multiple times on this podcast, the Enneagram isn't just a specific point. You are predisposed to a particular point on the Enneagram. But in reality, the Enneagram is you. That's what the circle represents, is the wholeness of you. And you just get fixated on this one particular one-ninth of yourself. So another thing we've said on here is how it's nine ways in which you lose contact with yourself, with the present moment, with what is. So just using it as a as a definition, as a guide for understanding, it's really just helps you define things. You don't need the Enneagram. And I think we've said this as well. We've said this as well on the podcast is you don't need the Enneagram to grow. It's just a really helpful tool to help help you get there. We're all familiar with the analogy of the needle in the haystack. Um, so in, in this analogy with the Enneagram, um, think of the needle as the thing that you're searching for, right? It's the thing that's perhaps causing a lot of difficulties. I mean, it's been helpful, uh, but now it's starting to cause some problems. So you can find that needle in the haystack. However, what the Enneagram does is it gives us a string attached to the needle in the haystack so that we can actually follow its logic to um, the core motivation or the core reason of why we're doing this without necessarily forgetting about the human being behind the type, which is very important. Your experience contextualizes the type, as we've heard Abram say <laughs> a million times. So really tapping into presence, tapping into sensation and seeing where, what kind of stories, what are the themes of your stories and then letting the Enneagram perhaps show some some different themes and patterns to those stories. I would say one other thing about this thing is you could talk about a three-centered practice with any type if you're looking for practices, which is a question coming up. Okay. Yeah, that's really great. 
Yeah, because we all have all three centers. So we all have all three centers, no matter the type. And there's right. a practice exactly. for all of them. Practical exactly. practice. There you go, Greek. Practical practice. <laughs> Practical <laughs> practicing. Yeah. Yes. Even just asking, awesome. what am I feeling? What am I thinking? What am I doing? And why? Right. And, so and, exactly. Yeah, that inquiry of why. The next mm-hmm. question. And what happens if that doesn't happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yep. So, and if you're asking that enough times and you're using the Enneagram with the numbers, you'll be able to start mirroring, oh, let's look at the two maybe this week. Let's look at the, what are the numbers that are your... Yeah, try them your, on. Yeah, mm-hmm. try them on for a week. Exactly. And try them on for fun. That's the style in which you will be thinking, feeling, and acting. So, And you'll be that's developing awesome. that inner observer, which I hear so much about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, thank you so much for hopping on. Thank we you, appreciate yeah. your wisdom yeah. and your Great contribution. You thank you, Lee. For sure. Thanks a bunch. Talk to you later. Right on, right on, right on. So our next segment, uh, with our next series of questions, we've got uh, another brilliant friend of ours of, from the podcast on to help us out, Milton Stewart. What's up, dude? How you doing? Glad to be here. Ah, uh, so good to have you back, man. Hey, for our uh, just people listening, can can you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do briefly? Yeah, Milton Stewart, the host of Do It For The Gram and Enneagram podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, coach, facilitator, teacher, trainer of the Enneagram, and I am an the founder of... And, oh, <laughs> an author, and there author, it is. An author. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> cough, cough, cough. <laughs> and the, um, the uh, founder of Kaizen Careers Coaching Consulting. Uh, so, yeah. I'm super excited to be here. That's a little bit about me. Very cool. Milton, we're glad to have you here and to help us answer these questions. So first question, we got a DM on Instagram from Dr. Katie Blake. And Dr. Blake wants to know, well, first she sets up a little context here. I'm a psychologist who works with women who are deconstructing church, religion, and or faith. That's a lot right there. Uh, (laughs) One of the tools I offer to women is the Enneagram. And so many consistently ask about how environment or life circumstances can affect one's personality type. So she wants to know our thoughts on that. How uh, life experience or uh, circumstances or environment can affect type. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh. You want to take a first crack at this, Milton? Yeah. First of all, like... The first three things, deconstructing was already, those three are some of the biggest things we can ever deconstruct first and foremost, right? So like, that's huge. Mm. So I'm actually doing kind of a talk a little bit about this because when I I hear this question, I'm thinking about Enneagram overlays Mm. and these overlays along with like trauma, along with societal ills and different things you get from different places does impact us in different ways depending on our personality, right? Mm -hmm. Some of our personalities are so strong. It's like, whatever, I don't care. I keep moving forward. But some of our personalities may move towards trauma a little bit or towards some of uh, the things that have happened. So I think when I'm thinking about this, uh, it definitely impacts. But when you can kind of get beneath that and get to the core and the essence of the type structure, and what defense is putting up against whatever they need to actually get to to kind of like start to heal. I think that's mm-hmm. where you start to see like, you'll start to see how the type really plays out in that person's life. And so you can actually, I would say, get an authentic and a truthful uh, narrative or perspective mm-hmm. on what's really happening. Because a lot of times trauma, pain, societal things and like overlays, they can create, they can they can make us create a narrative um, that, that like yeah. is not 
a hundred percent seeing the whole truth. Like we sure. may see part of it, mm. but not all of it. And so right. that actually prevents us, I think, from going deeper into really unpacking what we need to unpack inside instead of just looking mm. outside, you know? So I would say it definitely has an impact, but once you get to that core type, you can really start to do some, some real, some real deconstructing, I would say, to get to the essence mm. of self and work on some healing. Yeah, I also think it's interesting to when you look at families, how siblings who are biological siblings who have, or drawing at least from the same gene pool <laughs> from their parents uh, and experience very similar kind of upbringings and life circumstances and contexts will have... Um, different types, right? And so I think that mm -hmm. somewhat mm -hmm. speaks to the issue. Mm -hmm. It's not the whole, whole answer, right? This is also true of twins. I think I've only met one set of twins in my life who I think are the exact same type. I think that's, and that's more rare, right? That's interesting. Um, twin. Yeah. It, well, you yeah. are a twin. You can speak to this, Abram. Yeah. <laughs> you can speak to this, but I, I think that, that so, somewhat answers the question that, that there's a lot of influence, right? Now we can probably debate on how much, but there's a lot of influence that life circumstance and upbringing uh, does shape our type structure in some mm -hmm. significant ways anyway. Yeah. yeah. I would, I would say, you know, depending on the type, depending on the, the cultural overlay, like, you know, America, they've said there's three, or even seven. So maybe maybe culture rewards this personality a little bit more. Um, yeah. And so it's more welcomed and more accepted. Yeah. But also, as Drew was saying, I, um, I'm actually a twin. And my twin and I, uh, we do not share the same any type. We grew up in the same home. And I actually would say we there's, there's a higher chance of having the same instinct. Um, uh, rather than yeah. mm. rather than type, but we, yeah, we did. We had the same we had the same experience growing up, but we interpreted it very differently, and that yeah. that is the, the the difference I think too. With you have a maybe your 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 dominant enneagram type means you have a specific sensitivity that you're interpreting the world through first and foremost. And so, if my my brother's not an eight, but if he grew up in uh, you know more of a violent upbringing, and and I, as a nine, you know, I, and we grew up in the same, we're going to experience that differently. We're going to interpret it differently. So that's, that means we're going to take that on differently as how we become adults. But mm -hmm. I also think, yeah, your, your environment interprets how, probably how enmeshed with those type patterns you need to become. Um, so maybe how strong or how, how intense of whatever your number is, is mm -hmm. probably pretty correlated to how much you needed that type pattern to keep you safe growing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, looking at the triads, like the the harmony and the harmonic, um, ob object relations, those sort of things, that's really going to, as you're looking into your past, the, the trauma, your family upbringing, all those things are going to really uh, show up strongly in those yeah. areas. So, I mean, we don't have time necessarily to go into <laughs> uh, <laughs> all but, of those. Man, but we should I, talk more about that though. That'd be yeah, fun. definitely. When it comes to deconstruction, I mean, that's, gosh, such a traumatic process. When you're deconstructing any, when you're deconstructing anything and, and kind of, I mean, like Milton was saying, the Enneagram is on some level, it is a deconstruction. Is it? It is a deconstruction of who you think you are. And sure. so I guess that that overlay of deconstructing, whether it's 
how you were brought up or different uh, religious ideas or beliefs or, or something like that, it's really important to think about that type strategy and how are you trying to overcompensate for that lack of uh, sense of security and stability that you're used to feeling. Um, and it's completely natural. And just observe it. And I think that compassionate observing, even even in those, um, what's called in, in, in the Christian tradition of the dark night of the soul, right? Um, observing your patterns and being gracious and compassionate with yourself and your strategy, your type pattern will show up in how you deconstruct and how you deal with that lack of stability and certainty that you're used to feeling. I was thinking like in practical terms when working with clients, I think the biggest things is to how do we connect our Enneagram type to um, whatever experience or whatever we're thinking about. So for instance, whatever trauma that was, maybe looking at the core motivation or the core fear of Mm -hmm. that specific type and then trying to practically see like, how did it impact you based on that being your type structure? Because something happened there that was most likely traumatic. If we're trying to deconstruct something, sometimes there's something that was jarring, you know, Mm -hmm. or we just want to go, go deeper. But nevertheless, I think looking for that connection between our types, core motivation, core fear, and eventually patterns, fixations and things. I think that is where you will find the gold. If she, if like you're working with clients like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we have another, uh, Instagram question via direct message from Andrea Dodge. Andrea says, I am wondering if it is typical for those who are counter types to not experience the typical childhood for their type. I am a social seven and was extremely shy as a child. Oh, we're stepping into some present Enneagram controversy right here, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So for listener reference, um, countertypes are those subtypes that some teachers teach kind of go against the grain or seem counterintuitive initially to uh, the type structure. There are some teachers who think countertypes are bunk and don't exist. And there are some who think they're very real. That being said, that's why we kind of chuckled because it's kind of a hot topic in the Enneagram community right now. So. So yeah, social seven, extremely shy as a child. Would that mean that they don't experience, the counter types don't experience the typical childhood for their type? That's so hard. I mean, that's kind of going back to nature and nurture questions. And and also like, what is a typical childhood? I mean, (laughs) I guess you can have a healthy and unhealthy childhood um, full of aces or not. I th- so I, the critique of countertypes is that often they get they are used to explain aspects of your personality instead of just looking at another type. It can it can be it can cause a little bit of confusion that's not necessarily mm-hmm. needed. So mm-hmm. dropping into stay with just the core motivation and 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 the core aspects of that type before. Um, you just assume, well, I don't fit into this number. I must be the counter type. Maybe you just need to take another walk around the circle and see what happens. No, I, I definitely agree. No, I, but I, I do think that that is something I hear. Whether or not you believe that counter types are a legitimate thing, I have heard too often people who identify as a counter type to kind of soften the blow of their type, right? Uh, here, as a preserving or self-pres three, right? I think I've heard from other self-pres threes who 
seem to really cling to the subtype and being the countertype so that because they're a little bit more reserved than the typical three, right? And mm. aren't quite as out there and as stereotypically three, right? So that can be an issue. I also think too, you know, the childhood piece is really complex. And there are some other theories I think that could be worth exploring, right? Like I know those who kind of subscribe to the soul child theory, or uh, there are some teachers who believe that you maybe in your early childhood start as your what what becomes your heart point and kind of get right thrust into what becomes your type. <laughs> so mm. yeah, I just think there's some interesting things going on that all speak to the fact we don't really know, right? Necessarily, uh, and only you know your childhood best, uh, and certainly better than we could um, as to why maybe you were shy as a child and are yeah. a social seven. When I think about the the social seven, I think about because one social doesn't mean necessarily social, right? Uh, which is another right. confusing point <clears throat> yeah. that you know we have to unpack sometimes. <laughs> it means you know it's more like group structure, right? It's yes. more positioning within the group type of thing, hierarchy. Not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Not, you know, so Order, that's one thing. Yeah. So if that's if that's if that's the word that was catching you know this um, person who asked the question up, then social doesn't mean like you're a social butterfly. That doesn't mean right. that. I think the second thing is like it's it's kind of like if you look at for the social seven it's it's kind of like they are they they got a way of being like anti-gluttonous but they're still a glutton so they're kind of like they kind of fray from it a little bit which makes them a little different from the self-praise and the sexual who mm -hmm. are like we just we just going in like right. where the buffet at you know mm -hmm. right off the bat you know <laughs> <laughs> where where you know that that's one of the biggest distinctions is when you look at our actual like the passion how we exhibit the passion so yeah. I think that is a place to look if you are a social seven as well but then like everybody's saying the childhood is so complex I had we have no clue you know what traumas uh, what right. environment you had and so looking into those and maybe unpacking those would give um, really good indication. And you can be a seven and be an introvert. Yeah. It's okay. Like there are totally, yeah. there, there are plenty of them. You know, you just don't mm -hmm. see them necessarily because guess what? <laughs> They're introverts. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I, my son, one of, it, one of my son's favorite t-shirts is, uh, it says we're introverts. We're here, we're uncomfortable, and we want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Uh, Milton, As when you were a child, like what was your affect, your general affect? Yeah. Being Ooh. that you're a self-preservation seven. I mean, I always I always had a little bit of like fear inside, mm -hmm. that self-pressure protection of myself. And so I was, you know, like I can make people laugh. I can be in front of people. But at the same time, there was a level of shyness there of, of mm. what we would call shyness. But I think it was just more of a, it was a fear of some sort. Yeah. And so like th there, I think that's what it really was because I'd be lying if I was like, I didn't have any shyness. I was all out there. I was, ha no, mm -mm, no, mm -mm. Yeah. I'm more of a private yeah. person, you know, I'm learning to, yeah. hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. 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 So my son, he's four. And yes, absolutely. I don't think it's a good idea to try and type your kids. Um, now, behaviorally, he expresses like a seven, very much so. But the thing is, is he can, again, this is like hypothetically, if he ends up being a seven, but he can be incredibly shy with some people and incredibly outgoing with others. Like, the thing about kids is there's in such a deep developmental stage, stages, right. uh, you, you can't really like 
it just depends on the kid. It depends on right. how that environment has informed them and how they've taken on. It, there's so many factors about this that I, I my initial feeling to the answer would would be no. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, like Milton was mentioning, you know, the passion. It, the for me, the the passion is is a derivation of the dominant emotion of that uh, that lead that lead center you're in. So gluttony is a derivation of fear. Right. So I, I think fear is something every person experiences and how how is that going to show up for me? Um, and, and and I do think one of my issues with the countertypes is, you know, is initially a way to name like the counterphobic six. But I think every person within them has the capacity to go with or against their dominant center's emotion. And I mm-hmm. think that could be the countertype. But yeah. The problem is, I just think when you when you think of it like people have done with the six, it's a different six. It's the only six that's a different one. No, you've got all <laughs> these within you, yeah, right? Right. And I think that's what we forget. And so I, I just my sense is 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 a uh, no. I think shyness is a is a kid a thing, you know? Yeah. Not mm-hmm. not a seven thing or any number. I think it's a human thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did th- just think of one more example, and this may be better than anything I just said in response. So, Creek, you can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But um, I, I have I have a similar <laughs> I have a similar story in my own childhood. You know, as a self pres three, which you know is the counter type three, and when I look back, and actually I didn't really recognize or realize this until I did some therapy, you know, in the past five to seven years. Uh, and I remembered that I was a really sensitive kid hmm. Hmm. and I hated it. And, uh, you know, pinpointing why has been a journey for me, but I hated that I was so sensitive. And so in many ways, I, I think I developed and built subconsciously, consciously my type structure, right? As in some ways, a correction hmm. and a coping of that sensitivity I had in my early childhood that I despise so much that I felt was weakness. Right. And, uh, and so my, my journey then has been in many ways kind of returning to that sensitive child that I kind of shunned. Mm. And, mm. and, uh, and I think that that can be, it's not the only way type forms, but it can be a way that the type structure forms as a correction to the things that you think are deficient within you, right. That you don't like. And so I'm going to build this other thing. And then you realize, hey, this kind of works. <laughs> this kind of works. This kind of works. This kind of works <laughs> right. until it doesn't, you know? Yeah. 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 That's good. That was good. Well, Milton, thanks so much for hopping on with us. Uh, thanks for sharing your your wisdom and all that stuff. Where can people find you? They can find me at Do It For The Gram podcast on, I, on IG at, at Do It For The Gram podcast. And you can always go to my website at kaizencareers.com. That's K-A-I-Z-E-N-C-A-R-E-E-R-S.com. So here we are, final segment of season finale. What a ride it's been. Um, and we wanted to thank you all. It's It's been an honor and privilege to be with you on season two. And we wanted to celebrate with you. We have surpassed 100K. In fact, we have 110K downloads. <laughs> From all over the world. It's amazing. It's absolutely wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for engaging. Uh, we feel just... What do, what do we feel? I, I'm the emotional type, but I don't know. Tell me, <laughs> <laughs> tell me what we feel. I, feel. I feel really grateful. Yeah, grateful. That's a good word. 
Yeah. Grateful. 100,000. Feels significant. Really, I would say really surprised. Why, yeah. why is anybody tuning in? <laughs> <laughs> um, don't you all have better things to do? <laughs> we yeah. didn't want to get too big ahead, so we invited our friend <laughs> Kevin Smith, a.k.a. Kevin on the couch, to do a little bit of a roast um, <laughs> to, to just help deflate our egos. So we have Kevin on the line. Hello, Kevin. Hi, guys. Oh. Hey. I, I'm, I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys thought because I'm a five, I wouldn't show up to do this. Oh. That's never crossed was, my mind. That was the hope. That was the hope. Yeah. <laughs> you have a, you have a, you have a uh, opportunity to um, express your intellectual arrogance by, <laughs> by ripping us to shreds. So it's... <laughs> oh, it's just another day. <laughs> That's true. Uh, feels like Marco Polo, although for everyone else to see. Yeah, yeah that's great. This is awesome. Um, so I, I guess, Kevin, take it away. <laughs> well, okay. I have to give you a warning real quick, though. Today is garbage day, so I guess it's appropriate we're doing your podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I might get interrupted with the garbage truck trying to come pick up my computer from doing this. So if you hear it, we'll have to cut it out. <laughs> Oh, gosh, this is great. Ah, <laughs> ah. Initially, initially, Creek wanted to do this roast, I think, but um, I, I called it the toast of the idiot or <laughs> something. But I, That's fair. Yeah. I don't know, but I had to explain to him the idiot doesn't do the toast. <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny, Abram? <laughs> Are you laughing because when you heard toast, you brought bread? <laughs> <laughs> or was it donuts because they're uh, empty in the center? Oh, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Drew was going to bring a roast, but his kids ate all the food. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, I've been no. starving for years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should have said, said at the beginning, all of this is really just for fun. Because... <laughs> At the end of it, none of it's personal. At the end of it, we really didn't want Creek to whine about it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you guys said 100,000 downloads? Yes, 110. <laughs> that's, that's decent. <laughs> <laughs> that's almost as many likes as Justin Bieber's last tweet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perspective, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said you wanted to be humbled, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, please bring it. <laughs> Nah, Drew, Drew's actually doing really well. Got his book going. That's oh, nice. No. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's a good book. It's really good. It's it's a bit of a knockoff from Russ's work, though. So if you're buying... <laughs> <laughs> if you're thinking about buying a copy, just pick up two copies of Wisdom. Yes. <laughs> it'll be fine. Oh. I kid, I kid. He's really sold more copies than Dr. Seuss's canceled oh, titles. My God. <laughs> oh, my Oh, no. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> his original plan Creek, did you know this? His original plan was to have every one of his kids buy a copy and become a best-selling author <laughs> I believe that Yeah, uh -huh. the sad thing is they said no, it was weird <laughs> They wouldn't buy your book <laughs> Even your own kids Maybe you should get some more food <laughs> Tell them if they buy some, then they'll get more food Okay <laughs> How many kids do you have? I have five, yeah. Plans for more? Uh, not at the time, no. <laughs> All right. I got to catch my breath. 
I love you guys. <laughs> I love <laughs> you too. <laughs> that's a that's a compliment coming from a five. Five doesn't say I love you very much, do they? No. You're right. I don't know. Well, Drew. Um, oh, we're still on no, me. It's not okay. Drew. No, no, we're gonna move. We're gonna move. To, we're gonna move to Abram. <laughs> All right. Thank you. He changed his name from Bible to Abram. Did you guys know this? <laughs> I don't even know what this is about, but I heard, I don't know, it was because he wanted God to speak to him directly. Oh. <laughs> wow. Church jokes. Abram's oh, it's one of many. Abram is a nine, though, so God couldn't find him. Oh. <laughs> if, he, if he ever does, though, he'll tell him to change his name to Abraham like a good Christian. Oh. Yeah, there it is. That's, that's good. That's a deep cut right there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he told Creek to cut his hair. <laughs> oh, no. Creek did, but not all the way. He was worried he might lose his strength like Samson. <laughs> till Abram reminded him, dude, you're a four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what strength? Oh, there it is. Uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg is from your hometown, right? Yep. Creek? He is. Is that Scranton? <laughs> no. South, South Bend. <laughs> South Bend. <laughs> Wrong office. Yeah. When he was running for president, he called Creek for advice, and apparently he took it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that no. might have been my favorite. No. <laughs> Pretty good no. consolation prize. I'm, I'm curious what my advice was that, that I gave him. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. I thought you were going to tell us. Yeah. No. Oh, that. yeah. Uh, existential dread and fear will win the hearts of many. <laughs> that explains How's that it. working out for you and everyone? Uh, well, you know. Seemed fitting for the 2020 theme, though. Yeah, oh, it's that's very true. Existential dread. <laughs> Maybe a little too yeah. on the nose, perhaps. Yeah. I got the COVID vaccine, and man, I I did not feel well after getting it. I heard that's a story. So I turned I turned y'all's podcast on, and the sound of Abram's voice just put me right to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommend. Yeah. It. Um, this is delightfully Kevin, and yes, I uh -huh. love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> I feel seen <clears throat> and exploited all at once. Good. <laughs> yes, it's wonderful. <laughs> like a like a good uh, Gurdjieffian specialist. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explode our brains in one minute? <laughs> one minute. Yes. Um, we we got to get to sponsors and ads and revenue. Yeah. You know, hundred right. <laughs> right. k. You know, <laughs> we're big deal. <laughs> big deal. Well, big deal. The product line you guys have coming something. out is pretty mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> Creek will catch up on the product line you guys are about to launch. I'm even yeah, more nervous now. <laughs> it's pretty good. Blow your mind. Let's see. Yeah, what are you thinking about these days? You know, I think the one of the coolest things about the Enneagram is is that when we talk about typing people or typing ourselves or trying to find a certain energy, I always start at nine, three, or six. Mm -hmm. I, I just look and see which kind of camp whoever it is, is is fitting into. Is it more of a nine, more of a three, more of a six? And if I can narrow down that, I can start to isolate with the, with triads. The dependent stance triad, for instance, with six, mm -hmm. is six, one, and two. And so what, what took me a while to realize is that I think that one of the shortcuts for typing people is to hone in on which triad they're in by isolating nine, three, or six. Yeah. So 
if I can find somebody has kind of more of a six energy than they do a nine or a three, then I can start to look at whether or not six and one and two are a thing for them. Yeah. Mm. Because if you notice, six is kind of like the home energy for the dependent stance or the same thing for the withdrawing Mm -hmm. stance or three. I call it the assertive stance because I just Mm -hmm. don't like the word aggressive. It's got a negative tone. But no matter which one of those energies, nine, three, or six you're on, you can look at that triad and you can start to analyze that six or nine or three has both components mm-hmm. of the other two. Mm. But there, I, I've been talking about it a little bit like it's an egg, and six would be the unbroken egg, and inside of it, it contains all the goods. Hmm. But one hmm. and two then would be the eggshell and all the goods inside the egg. Right. Two would be the you know hmm. the goods inside the egg, and one would be the broken eggshell. So there's there's this idea of of one and two are looking to complete what they they do not have. Yeah. Where six is looking mm-hmm. to find a purpose or a meaning with its togetherness or wholeness, it's not yet been broken. And this is consistent. You can apply that with nine and three too, that seven and eight mm-hmm. compose both of the the ingredients for a whole unbroken egg at three or an unbroken egg at nine. And the withdrawing yeah. trad, and they've got flavors, right? So you can do a lot of things with eggs. You can poach them or scramble them or fry them. That's kind of the, what we're doing is we rotate those those triads for typing. So it's been a, a really useful tool for me to be able to figure out where I land on the Enneagram, where other people might land on the Enneagram. Um, just a kind of a neat little hack. I don't know if it's mind-blowing, but it's kind of a cool little hack. No, I, I love that. heard that before. That's really great. <clears throat> yeah, I love it. And it does. it makes sense on a f- number of levels why that could mm-hmm. be helpful in terms of its location in, in the each, each intelligence center, kind of the polarity that it provides for each stance. I love it. That's great. Yeah, polarity is definitely in there, but he said a minute, so I, I thought I'd... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, good. I um, want to talk about time and the Enneagram too, but <laughs> <laughs> that's already been covered, I think, so... No, yeah. we... we uh, yeah, man, season three's on the horizon, man. We can talk. You gonna yeah, do time, time. polarity? We can yeah. talk all sorts of things. Yeah. What time? The illusion of time, mm-hmm. attachment to it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've noticed. I've noticed in my own life how how I, as a withdrawing type, look at time and how that how I'm always either looking to get away from my past or I'm looking to bring my past with me. No matter what I'm doing with time, for me as a withdrawing type, I'm I'm always focused on the past in one way or another, running from it yeah. or running toward it. Um, yeah. I don't think so much about the present or the future unless it's in context with the past. So I think it's really yeah. a, a conversation that's worth having. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to mention as we go into what, what uh, Abram is is kind of leaning toward there is that time is an illusion and dimensions now enter into the Enneagram too. So every every type or energy around the Enneagram is really a dimension of energy. And we're in the third dimension, the physical dimension. So I think it's that's a conversation really worth having. So we can understand, yeah. you know, what in in a third dimension we have a physical understanding of things, but there is a way to look at these dimensions that kind of crack the esoteric shade mm. of it, and you can kind of bring it more into the light of understanding by looking at the enneagram and personality type. So if you start looking at personality or whatever system you want to map on the enneagram you can start to look at those principles that are operating within that system and compare it to the dimensions. So you get a little more clarity about what a dimension is and what it means and what what access there is to it. We got lines of direction, stress and integration, you know, from 3 and if we're at the third dimension, we can look at what the ninth dimension and the sixth dimension is by looking at those directions of stress or growth. Is that mind-blowing? That's that that'll do it. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Can you give, give, a, give a quick, I know you've talked about, so the people's resistance to time is an illusion, that sort of thing. Can you, can you explain the difference between that and what's actually happening? Their resistance to time is an illusion? Because time feels real. I would say attachment to time is the illusion. Hmm, but we're attached to our illusion about time. And that entering in a, a sense of timelessness is part of presence. You know, um, we could go really deep, so I, I won't, but I'll just touch on it. I think one of the biggest factors of our attachment to time is where we place our attention. Mm-hmm. And so if we put mm-hmm. our attention on a certain thing, then we yeah. have at least temporarily, right, um, placed an attachment onto the thing that we're focused mm-hmm. on. So time changes when you when you attach your attention to one thing or focus or direct your attention to one thing, the more you practice presence, the more you're able to start using your attachment to time or your focus on time without getting sucked into it. Mm-hmm. So whatever thing you're putting your attention on or your affections, whichever center is being activated by your experience of time, you, you can start to enter in and out of paradigms of attachment so that they're for a purpose versus you just getting sucked into it like a magnet pulling you or maybe you're electricity is just grabbing you and holding you onto whatever you're focused on. You can't get away from it. Now you feel like mm-hmm. a prisoner of the thing that you wanted to enjoy. And that's, yeah. you know, now we're getting into addiction and some psychological components that I think are really important too. Wow. So good. <laughs> Kevin, yeah. thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, you never y'all, disappoint. If you, if you haven't checked out Kevin on the Couch Tree Enneagram in season yes. one, definitely do that. That seems to be really popular with the folks out there. Um, it's in our top five most listened to episodes so check that out kevin so really we have job. you to thank kevin for getting over that <laughs> actually yes downloads, so thank you <laughs> That's amazing. oh man you guys are uh, awesome i'm so grateful to have you all three as friends mm-hmm. um to know you on this level it's been it's been quite a journey in the last couple of years it has been yeah so glad we're we're connected and can't wait to actually get together and Get a big whiteboard out and start doing some. There we go. Maybe soon. Work. Maybe soon. Yes. Soon. Let's hope. Very soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, wonderful. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Truthwork Media Studios. Hi, my name is Kevin from Kevin on the Couch with Fathoms Podcast, and I'm excited to announce today that we are officially launching a brand new product line for the emotionally inept called Fathoms Elite. As you all know, Creek is a coffee connoisseur. If you don't believe me, just ask him. He'd be happy to sit down with you and discuss it over a generous glass of our first product. If you think your emotional brew is intense, just wait till you take your first sip of Fathoms Boxed Wine. Exploring the depths of unnecessary emotion since 1991. This product is so unique, 
We hired his mom as a consultant to determine the price. She told us she would normally advise we put the pricing on the Fathom's website he meticulously designed. But, and I quote, Trust me, no one can afford it, and if they could, there is no way they could possibly ever fully appreciate it, ever. As a special thank you to our loyal listeners, Abram is offering an exclusive Fathoms Elite Plus subscription to the product line so you don't have to remember yourself when you run out and leave yourself at home again. You've got to hurry, though, because not to be outdone, and for a limited time only, at an even more outrageous price, Drew, get your filthy hands out of my breakfast, Mosier, is offering Fathoms Elite Plus Plus which includes a signed copy of his new autobiography, Why God Why? A Recovering Narcissist's Exploration of Podcast Addiction. In other words, please people, give us your money. If you can't afford it, why are you even listening? <laughs>